So for our guests, this is uh, the final message in a three-part series that we titled Created to Be. Uh, The object of this series is to help each and every one of us understand what God has created us to be or become. And we thought of it in a couple of different areas. The the first is, is that we thought about what it meant for God to create us to become authentic. And when I say authentic, to become an authentic representation of Jesus. In our words, in our deeds, that we model the holiness and the life of Christ in our world. Last week we considered what it meant for us to be created to be creative, that all of us are are creative in various different ways. We have talents, we have gifts, but that God has created all of us to be creative in the coming kingdom of God, that we be a creative part, co-creators with God in God's coming kingdom. This week we're going to think about what it means for us to be hospitable, welcoming, and what that might mean for and look for each and every one of us. As I said, God has a divine intention. You probably have gotten this from me over the years of listening to me preach. I, I believe that God's goal is to recreate this world into God's perfect kingdom. We pray for it every single Sunday. God's kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven, right? We pray for this. And that we are a part of this. It's God's invitation for us to be a part of it. It's what God has created us to be. To welcome it into our hearts and our lives, but to welcome it into the world in which we inhabit. To show hospitality to it. To receive it. Because that's God who who God has created us all to be. Hospitable. Best joke of the week on Facebook that I saw. I hope you think this is funny. All right? But listen, here, here's what it is. When someone near you sneezes, what is it that you say to them? Right? Bless you. Or God bless you. Right? So when God sneezes, what do you say? God bless yourself. Right? No? Okay, so it wasn't the best joke on Facebook this week. <laughs> But I thought it was kind of interesting to think about those kinds of things. The best quote of the past couple of weeks that I saw on Facebook, though, I think happens to be very apropos for today. Uh, Someone said this, It isn't the water that surrounds a boat that causes it to sink. It's the water that gets into the boat. Did you get that? It isn't the water around the boat that causes it to sink. It's the water that gets into the boat. Right? When it comes to hospitality, I think we all primarily think of hospitality in terms of our graciousness towards other people. We think of hospitality as an external practice, right? How we receive our guests in our homes, how we practice it hopefully well here at church. Our guests today can let us know if we practice hospitality with you or not. But we think of it from the aspect of the external and how we practice hospitality. We know good hospitality when we've experienced it. We know bad hospitality when we've experienced it. Amen? Rather than focus on it as an external thing today, I want us to think of it a little bit differently. What is it that we are hospitable to in our lives? When it comes to the things that we let into, welcome into our minds and our bodies, our spirits and our hearts, what is it that we welcome? What do we give hospitality towards? What are the influences that we let come into our lives? Because those influences will eventually make their way out into our public life. What comes into the boat is eventually going to make its way out. 
for us as well. I think there's some things that we're hospitable towards, I would say, that aren't necessarily welcoming of health and spirituality. I think we all know that in our lives. We recognize that we live in a culture that is secular and is becoming more and more secular by the day. Would you agree with me? Amen? The advent of television, movies, the internet, YouTube, we kind of find ourselves on a slow moral regression in our culture. For those of us who are of a certain generation, we remember hee-haw. How many of you remember hee-haw? All right. Good old wholesome family fun that was on television. How many of us adults also recognize the amount of sexual innuendo that was in hee-haw? Us kids didn't really catch that. But now as you watch it as an adult, you kind of get that. The veil is stripped back a little bit on what we thought was family entertainment at the time. Now today, I think many of us recognize that the veil of innuendo is gone. In many ways. Amen? Turn on the TV. Even in prime time today, the amount of explicit language, the sexually graphic images that you will see, they permeate prime time network channels today. And the entertainment industry thinks that they're doing their duty by giving us a content warning. I believe, though, in our society, we're becoming more and more permissive to these kinds of things. We welcome them. We are hospitable to them. And yes, you can be a person who can give up the cable. And yes, you can be a person who changes the channel or simply just turns the TV off, but you are not going to escape it because it permeates every aspect of our society, our sexuality. It's just a part of everything around us. How much do we welcome in? What hospitality do we give to it? Or to think of it in the aspect of materialism, Uh, One of my favorite TV shows used to be on BBC America. It got canceled. It was the British version of Top Gear. How many fans? Anybody else? Okay, so you guys know, so I'm going to preach to this side of the church for a couple of minutes, right? Top Gear. Three British guys that were all gearheads had this show. It was great. The guys were Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, James May. For some odd reason, something happened. Their show on BBC America got canceled. But now they have moved. You can watch their new show called The Grand Tour. It's on Amazon. And for those of us who have Amazon Prime, you get to watch it for free whenever you want to. And that's another topic for another day, Amazon Prime. But I love Amazon Prime because I get to watch those episodes whenever I want. And the reason I love the show is because I love cars. I love sports cars. I love really fast sports cars, and I really enjoy a fast sports car that also has a throaty little sound to it. You know, when you rev it up, it just sounds like it's going to go really, really fast. And the best part of all of this is my wife likes sports cars too. My keeper back there, right? Yeah. If money were no object for Jim, I would own a one-car garage in Germany where I could store a supercar, I could fly over whenever I wanted to, and I would drive the German Autobahn. Why? Because the German Autobahn is the only place in the world that you can still legally drive a car as fast as it will go. And I would do that if money were no object. How materialistic of me. You can feel free to judge me in this moment if you would like to, right? You know, a little bit of that kind of plays into all of our lives, the materialism that we welcome. There's a guy by the name of Mark Tabb. He is an author of a book that is titled Living with Less, 
the upside of downsizing your life. I've quoted him before in one of my sermons, but I want to remind you of something that he said. He talks about debt-to-income ratio in America circa about 2006 when he wrote this book. At that time, his quote, the figure that he used, was 120% that Americans were living off 120% of their income around the period of 2006 which meant that many of us carried about 20% more debt than what we could actually afford each and every month. Why? Because of our appetite for things, the stuff that we like. Now, for many of us, we thought that maybe the banking crisis that happened in 2008 and the housing crisis and kind of the economic turmoil and recession that we went through would probably cure us of some of our appetites. But I heard this week a a news report that said that consumer confidence is on the rise. Guess what else is also on the rise? Personal debt. Because we like our things. I know that St. John's is a safe place. I I can get away with having a moment of personal confession with you. I will honestly tell you that there was a tiny twinge of jealousy for me this week for the woman in Indiana who won the $435 million Powerball, right? Because we imagine what we could do, the freedom that we could have. Our hearts are so in tune with some of the materialism and the things around us. We're welcoming of them. We show hospitality to it. I think in our faith we can be like this a little bit as well. There's a certain amount of relativism today that is taking place in the Christian movement. We've become a little bit more a la carte about some of our beliefs. There's some things that we will hold on to. There's some things that we would like to give up. If you think about it from the aspect of politics, I I heard a radio conversation this week that talked about the vast middle of Americans who are neither fringe left or fringe right. They find themselves in the middle and they practice a political kind of perspective that is a la carte. They'll take a little bit from the Republicans, a little bit from the Democrats, a little bit from the Independents, a little bit from the Green Party. They kind of morph it all together and for them they would really like to have a government that represents their a la carte political point of view. But there's nothing there for them at the moment. Religion in some ways has become kind of like that. Kendra Creasy Dean wrote a book titled Almost Christian. She cites a massive study that was done between 2003 and 2005. It was called The National Study of Youth and Religion. The first part of her book is titled Worshiping at the Church of Benign Whateverism. Because the church in some ways has morphed, become a little bit more a la carte. She writes, We have traded in many ways, and when she says we, she means we the church, have traded the kind of faith confessed and embodied in the church's most long-standing traditions for the savory stew of moral therapeutic deism. Now you probably wonder what that term is. She gives a definition. Five basic characteristics go into what she calls Christian-ish or this moralistic therapeutic deism, that we have let our faith morph into a God exists who created and orders the world and just simply watches over life on earth, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught by most of the world's religions, that the central goal in life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself, that God is not actively involved in your life until... 
there is a problem you need God to solve. And that good people, all good people, should go to heaven when they die. As you listen to that description, is there anything that you recognize from the historic Christian tradition embedded in that? No. Pick up even our own books of worship and our own book of discipline and read through our own doctrines and our principles of the United Methodist Church, and we have not morphed into this. This is an a la carte approach to religion that morphs in so many things. We have welcomed so many other ideas. We have become relativistic. Ralph Waldo Emerson is credited with saying, a person will worship something, have no doubt about that. But that which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves every single one of us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping is what we are becoming. We need to be careful what we let in to the boat. What we welcome. What we are hospitable to. Think with me for a moment about Paul's words to Titus. About his words about hospitality. Certainly in his description he is talking about people who are hospitable externally. But you've got to think about these leaders that Paul is encouraging Titus to find for the church. There's a certain level of character for each and every one of them. They have been hospitable to something. They have welcomed something into their lives so that they might mature and grow spiritually, to be Christ-centered in their lives. Paul explains it this way. He says, look for characteristics like this. They're a person who's faithful to their spouse. They raise their children in such a way that their children are not self-indulgent or rebellious. They are leaders who themselves are not stubborn, irritable. They aren't addicted to substances. They're not a bully and they're not greedy. But rather, they have welcomed into their lives hospitality. They love what is good and righteous. They are reasonable in all things, ethical, godly, self-controlled. They're people who are embedded in God's message. They encourage others in faith. What they have welcomed into their hearts and their minds is an understanding of this life in Christ that is emerging each and every day to become something different, the things that God has created them to be. And to look for people like that, to help others on that journey as well. You know, you think about the church in Crete. The church in Crete was a work in progress, according to Paul. They hadn't reached their end objective yet. That's what they needed people to lead and make sure that they resisted a false message to continue to promote that hospitality of the message of Christ that would form and shape their lives. John Wesley talks about it as going on to perfection. And in Methodism today, we still talk about what is it that we're welcoming into our lives? What are we hospitable to that will help us go on to this vision of being a sanctified Christian? Paul promotes that. I think the church today continues to promote that. To welcome things into your heart and your life that will help you grow in this vision of what Christ has in mind for you. And so Paul encourages us to let the things of God into our lives. Resist the things of the world as much as we can. To let the light of God into your heart and into your soul, not the darkness of the world around us. To practice hospitality and welcome of the things that will help you grow in faith, not the things that take you away from God. Allie shared with me this week an, an Arabian proverb 
And the Arabian proverb says this. It says, the words of the tongue should have three gatekeepers. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Now, now certainly this proverb is, is thinking and helping us hopefully think about what goes out of our, our mouths, out of our lives, even whether we speak it or type it. What is it that we say to the world to cause us to, to pause and think about what we are typing And what we are saying, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary in that moment? I would say to you that I think those three gatekeepers also apply to what you welcome into your life. So to think of it this way, are you welcoming truth into your heart and life? If we think about the word of God as truth yesterday, today, and forever... How much of the words of God are we welcoming daily into our lives? Are we taking an opportunity to read God's truth? Are we welcoming kindness into our lives? I mean, with all the hatefulness that's going on in the world around us, it could be easy for us just simply to respond in the same like manner as those that are around us. How much kindness are we welcoming into our lives so that we might be kind in the world around us? Are you welcoming what is necessary into your life as well? I'll be honest with you, friends. I let too much unnecessary stuff clog up my calendar, suck up my time. I'm going to guess that some of you, if you really sat down and analyzed your own time and your calendar, you'd agree that you probably have welcomed in some things that don't need to be in your life. To think about what your priorities are. Are they truly essential to you experiencing joy and purpose? Are you welcoming into your life worship, silence, meditation, study, fellowship, service? Or do you simply let your time go to that stuff that's frivolous in life? Because I believe that Paul invites every single one of us not only to be witnesses to one another of our faith, but more importantly to be witnesses in the world around us. To show great hospitality to things, to welcome things into our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our souls that will help us to become the witness that God has created us to be. For us to be a people today that are hospitable to the presence of God, the calling of God, to welcome righteousness in, that we might be a righteous example to the world. The question is, how open are we? To God's invitation. How welcoming are we to what God is creating us to be and become? So here's what I hope you hold on to this morning. There's just a couple of points that I hope that you can have conversation, maybe with yourself and God and, and maybe one another as well. But to be reminded that we can easily find ourselves welcoming into our lives a lot of stuff that's not spiritually uplifting and actually can be spiritually damaging and damages our witness in the world. God desires for every single one of us to be people who welcome the transforming presence of God into our lives, that we might become a faithful witness in the world around us. Because we all know that we live in a world that in many ways has its dark places, and God wants us to be light that shines into those spaces. So here's your invitation for this morning. A a couple of things I hope that you'll just consider, pray over, wrestle with, challenge yourself in the days to come. Number one, think about where does your time go? What are you welcoming 
What are you showing hospitality to when it comes to your time? What do you let into your mind, your heart, your body, your soul? God desires that all of us, all of us, give ourselves to things that will renew us in God. So are you welcoming the things that renew you? Or maybe today is a time of confession. What is your confession today? Do you find yourself intentionally investing in the things that you know that are drawing you away from what God has created you to be? I would tell you that today God is here to meet you, arms open wide, ready to receive you, and that in this moment the presence of God can also transform and set you on a new path. Because I believe, as I've said, God has created every single one of us to be hospitable to welcome into our minds, our bodies, our hearts, our souls, the things of God. For these will be the things that will transform us into the agents of God's kingdom. And this is who God has created us to be. So welcome. Be hospitable to the life-giving presence of God. Would you join me in prayer? God of mercy and God of grace, we come before you in this moment. Having heard the words and now your invitation, we think, O oh God, what is it that we have welcomed into our lives? What is it that we have made space for? What is it that we have been hospitable to? In some ways, we know that there are areas, things, that have taken us away from you. And yet we hear your loving call, your beckon to come, to turn around, to face you, to be embraced by your grace and your mercy, to be set on a new path today, to let more light into our lives, to welcome it, be hospitable to it, in the ways in which we seek your truth, kindness, in the ways in which we find the necessity of your work in our lives. Oh, Lord, help us to focus on these things today, tomorrow, the week to come. And we pray, oh, God, that we might truly become who you have created us to be. In all things we ask this through Christ.